Okay, so welcome back to our course podcast. It's been so fun spending these last few weeks digging into trauma-informed practice, and I'm so excited today to have Dr. Coloma on to talk a little bit about equity and the intersection of anti-racism and trauma-informed care. So welcome, Dr. Coloma. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Ms. Duane, and for having me in this podcast, and thank you for the listeners. Awesome. All right, so I know our time is limited, so I'm going to jump right in. Um, so our first question for you is really just thinking about kind of giving a little bit of background. How did you as an educator come into the trauma-informed work? You know, my background as a teacher educator really stems from being an urban teacher myself, particularly in the inner city of Los Angeles, and then transitioned to doctoral work. And I've had the opportunity to become a faculty member and an administrator in Michigan, Ohio, Kentucky, and Toronto, Canada, all primarily in urban contexts. So the whole trauma language and research has really emerged over the past, I would say, you know, five to 10 years, um, yeah. primarily through neuroscience, um, fields like social work, and in teacher education that's become more and more part of our work in relation to educational psychology and school psychology. But in the literature of teacher education, um, there is a growing um, number of scholars, um, yeah. researchers and practitioners that are doing this work. So I have really immersed myself, I would say in a really intentional way within the past six, seven years on the trauma-informed work, primarily because I work in urban contexts. Right. Um, with racialized and economically dis disadvantaged students and families and communities. Yeah. And I want to make sure that the approach that I take is more from an asset and strength-based approach. And here I'm particularly been influenced by Sean Ginwright yeah. in his work in California um, regarding this matter. So I tend more toward, I tend to lean more towards the more asset strength-based approach in trauma research and practice than what I have seen generally from the literature. Oh yeah, we've talked about that a lot in class, the healing-centered ways of doing things and viewing things not in a deficit lens. I, I love that that's your, your approach because I, it's very aligned to what I am looking to do as well in my research, so that's awesome. So talking about trauma, thinking about anti-racism and equity, which I know teacher ed in general, I mean, your division is leading the way on some of these, like, in really intentional interventions and approaches, but how do you see trauma-informed work, trauma in general, intersecting with equity? It's so, so crucial, right? Because especially since um, communities of color um, have been disproportionately impacted by various kinds of structural institutional types of discrimination from you know, redlining, funding, um, discrimination, um, what we're seeing now in terms of the COVID impacts um, particularly in communities of color, um, unemployment or underemployment. I mean, these kinds of work in terms of anti-racism in relation to intersections with, you know, class, mm. um, you know, and other kinds of forms of marginalization that we see on a day-to-day -day basis. So the psychological um, impact of those traumatic moments 
but also the intergenerational impact yes. of that trauma is very much alive um, and unfortunately mm -hmm. still needs to be unpacked and addressed in really intentional and systematic ways. So definitely trauma work is needs to be hand in hand with equity and justice work. Yes, I totally agree. And sometimes I feel like equity is left out of the conversation in a lot of the psych. And I mean, I think social work does a pretty good job. But like, even if you look at SAMHSA and their trauma informed pillars, right, like they talk about culture and gender as just one pillar. But sometimes I think about it as like that needs to be the foundation, like equity and anti racism needs to be the beginning of everything that we're doing because you can't build safety if you're not safe from racism and discrimination, microaggressions that aren't that micro. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think part of the origin of the trauma research comes from neuroscience and psychology which for the most part is very much about the individual yeah. and the kind of internalized processes and processing of those kinds of marginalizations. I think a very helpful complement is a much more sociological approach and even a historical approach, if you will, to the more neuroscientific and psychological approach. And I think bringing that together provides perhaps the, the internal and external components that are really going to be necessary if we want to put equity and really becoming full potential of our democratic mm -hmm. um, citizenship and society at the core of trauma research. And oh my gosh, I, that's a constant struggle just with me personally of like the individual versus the systemic. It is so, and then how do you untangle the white supremacy culture that is embedded in an individual that might perpetuate some of these things that cause trauma? I mean, there's just so much to it that's absolutely needed so yes yeah okay so thinking then too about just in general so a lot of the work around trauma and i love that you named the asset-based approach because i think the majority of i mean at least for me as an educator like when i was an elementary school teacher teaching in a trauma-informed school it was a lot of like let's approach from a deficit lens let's change our strategies we might have to lower our expectations kids can sleep because of the trauma so how do you, like, what are your thoughts on just the savior mentality that maybe you've seen, that you've worked on? Like, give, just give me some general thoughts on that. Well, that is so intertwined, right, with teaching in general, um, mm -hmm. particularly within the context of urban, con urban schools and communities that primarily white middle-class monolingual teachers are there to, in many ways, not just to uphold certain kinds of societal norms and standards upon which that we need to kind of attain, but simultaneously looking at marginalized families and communities as having less than, and not thinking about that having less than as really products of historical, institutionalized, and systemic kinds of discrimination, and really more asserting that as, as a problem with the individual or with a family or with a community. So the whole white savior complex, and even I would probably say the white female savior mm. complex, given the, um, the, demographic, the population, right? Yeah. right, in terms of who we have in the school system, has been very much there. So how do we then understand that in relation to the overlay of the trauma? And I think sometimes the whole trauma research provides some folks with a kind of scientific or research language and backing to in some ways reinforce um, the kind of um, 
kind of perceptions, misperceptions that they already have yes. with students, families, and communities. What I appreciate and more asset um, approach to the trauma research is to one, shift our thinking, shift our language, and ultimately then shift our practice. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes, and my own research um, places out, is how we view students, their families, and their communities shape how we treat them. Wow. So if we already see them as having less than, or not being competent, or already presumed incompetent, mm -hmm. then we act upon them as having, as folks who need to be added on, mm -hmm. rather than building on what they already have, the strengths and resources that they're already, that's already there, so that you know, they can build upon that. And there's been decades of research in terms of the funds of knowledge approach. Yes. That's been there and I think needs to complement the trauma-informed research. So I think yeah. this is where, again, the kind of neuroscientific and psychological approach can really be complemented by mm -hmm. sociological, historical, culturally responsive and responsive, sustaining pedagogy as part of the work. Because they can really, they don't necessarily, they're not incommensurate. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes mm -hmm. ideologically or epistemologically, they come from different places. Right. Um, and as someone committed to equity and justice, I, I always feel like, what can we get from various places and bring that together to make a huge difference? So here I'm also minded of someone like Lisa Delpit, again, mm -hmm. from 30-some years ago, who talk about there are norms upon which we are all going to be judged. Mm. And how do we utilize this kind of, um, you know, being able to code switch mm. as a way, and this is what I would probably, you know, compel teachers to think about. Yes, okay. we recognize that, there, that racism, poverty, and other forms of institutionalized kinds of discrimination have really put some people at risk and at a disadvantage. That's societies putting people at risk, right? So that's a language I would prefer to kind of frame it as. So how do we work with them so that they can, we can really build upon what they already know, what resources they have, and building upon those strengths so that when we're talking about math, science, literature, social studies, we can really talk about, you know, what's going on at home in your neighborhoods and using that as a way to problem solve and to say, you know something. You already have wisdom and brilliance. You have things that you could offer and teach us. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. God, I love that so much. Because I think too, just in addition to that, a lot of times like, in the trauma-informed work, it's about deficits and they have developmental deficits and they have language deficits and they have physical deficits and their brain is smaller and the research is so focused on that. And what it completely omits is this honoring of all the things that they do have. And I think it's, it's a combination of holding both truths at the same time, which is such a tricky thing, right? Of like, yes, there are potentially neurobiological deficits because of trauma incurred. Like we're not saying that's not true. And we're also asking teachers to, in some way, 
hold a second truth that is they come chock full of incredible wisdom and experiences. I think about cultural like funds of knowledge, community competence, all those things. Um, but it's hard in practice. Like I taught for seven years. I was always in urban areas. I worked in elementary schools and middle schools and it's it, keeping that in check as a white woman myself and just naming why my whiteness and knowing that I am operating and benefiting from systems of white supremacy. Like that is a very real challenge. It is. And, and this kind of conversation kind of reminds me of this ongoing debate and dialogue between special education and disability studies. Interesting. Because on one hand, we think about some of the special education approach as a very kind of deficit in its orientation. You know, I mean, either the kind of phys physical, learning, emotional, behavioral kinds of right. challenges that um, young people go through in the schools. And those are seen often as again, kind of presume incompetent, um, not being able to or less than. Mm -hmm. There is a kind of a way of thinking, particularly through disability studies, that what we ought to really question is the normalization of certain things in our society. What do we consider as normal? And those who don't fit that normality gets to be seen then as deviant wow. or as devious or that different in a kind of negative way. So perhaps we can attend to what is it that we have propped up as schools and a society as the normal to attain? And why is it that has become the norm? Wow. Right, so I think there are some lessons there from other fields that are very much part and central of teacher education, of schooling, of psychology, um, that we could draw from. And I think that debate between special education and disability studies, and again, I'm mindful that I am casting this in very broad strokes. Sure. But the essence of that conversation is I think in many ways, this crux between you know, the deficit orientation, a questioning of normality, and how is that also imbued in questions around white supremacy, mm -hmm. um, certain, a certain kind of capitalist way of doing things, heteropatriarchy, and monolingual Eng English types of orientations. Wow, that's so powerful and such an important question that we all have to unpack a little bit. I mean, as educators ourselves and as people standing in classrooms every day with students in front of us, adult learners in front of us, like that's, yeah, so, wow. That's awesome. All right. So my last question for you is just thinking about like as a teacher and a lot of this podcast, I think, is really trying to get some tangible and actionable things into teachers hands. And I think obviously the first one is like really the suggestion probably is to sit and unpack that savior mentality, those like kind of two truths that we hold at the same time. But then in addition to that, just to close out, if you, you know, were a classroom teacher or to the awesome cohort that's listening now, what would you like a teacher to know who's really wanting to work on being more culturally responsive and anti-racist and trauma-informed? Um, I know it's a big question. <laughs> it is, it is. And it, it is so hard to kind of think about kind of prescriptions, right, if you I will. Yeah. Um, but probably some things to consider, um, and because this is something that I also work on myself, right? So this is an ongoing learning process. I think for me, first and foremost is to be okay with being uncomfortable, 
right? Because part of this is going to be a lot of unlearning of what has been steeped within our own thinking and practice. And we often have to unlearn the very things that often have benefited us. So we need to be okay with being uncomfortable. Second would probably be do your homework, right? So take the opportunity to read, to write, to engage, listen. Um, but we can't just constantly ask the quote, the other to constantly do that homework for us. Mm -hmm. We got to do that ourselves, right? I mean, the good thing about in this, you know, 21st century is there are so many resources that are readily available. Reading, videos, podcasts, blogs, you know, do your homework. So that would be the second one. And I think the third one is, you know, have other people have at least kind of a group of folks that can keep you in check. You know, I think having yeah. your colleagues, your peers, your trusted folks that you could lean on and say, okay, I'm kind of working through this. So is this the right way of doing things? And I put that in quotes. Right. Um, are there other approaches that I can do this better? Because also having those peers and colleagues that you can work with and trust with can give you that kind of feedback because it would be unfair for us as teachers or aspiring teachers to ask our students and their families to say, hey, am I treating you well? <laughs> yes. um, there are power dynamics. At I play, was just thinking of that word. Yep. Yeah. Right. In terms of that kind of dynamic. But I think fellow educators, people that you trust, whom you can, who can be both a support and a check for you is always going to be helpful. And I think that the last thing I would say is, you know, this work is both, it can't just be mental, it's also with our heart, right? This is so connected to, you know, thinking about the children and the families that we work with as not just those children and those families. There's a certain commitment and love for the, the children, families, and communities that we work with and that we serve. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. Yes, yes. Thank you. I feel like I have homework now too. I've got stuff to do. So. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is incredible. It was such an honor talking with you. I really, really appreciate it. And I hope the students are able to walk away with some good ideas and next steps. Well, Ms. Duane, thank you so much for this opportunity. For those of you who are listening, um, I, I'm so, so glad that you're part of our program at Wayne State University. And I look forward to constantly engaging with you.